Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. verses 35 through 45, and at this rate, as we're going through, Mark, I think we're here till 2024-ish. We'll see how it goes as we do this 10 verses at a time. But over the last few weeks, David has set up this gospel of Mark in a couple of different ways, and it's, one is the purpose that Mark is writing with. Mark's purpose is to persuade us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And so, what you may be looking at is you're looking at, at Mark, you may see some details. You're like, I, I know this story, but the detail isn't the same. That's because Mark is very direct. He takes away the details. Here's the point. Here's the purpose. I want you to know who Jesus is. And so that's as you're reading it, that's what you see is direct. Some, maybe some details omitted at different points, but it's to introduce us to the kingdom of God in the most efficient way possible. And so... Looking back over the last few weeks, what David has really focused on are these introductory stories about Jesus as the Messiah. We see John the Baptist as this one who's in the wilderness that's preparing the way for him. So we know the Messiah is coming soon. We see Jesus' baptism where God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and whom I love. Which is a, it's direct. This is the son of God. And then we see Jesus tested in the wilderness. This time period of of the enemy coming to him, attacking him, and showing us a different way. It's, it should remind you of the Israelites in the wilderness in the Old Testament, and we see how they failed through those 40 years. This is a new way, Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, and, he's, and he perfectly resists all the temptations. All three of these are signs that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And then last week, David looked at some of the foundational elements of Jesus' ministry. This is what he's come to do, and this, is what he, and this is what he's going to do in the future. And we're going to continue on that path this morning. So if you will, you can flip over to Mark 1, starting in verse 35. We're going to do five verses at a time this morning. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So this is the first time we see Jesus withdrawing to a solitary place to pray. He's getting out of the chaos of what's going on, as you look back the last few weeks, you see he's healing crowds, he's driving out demons, he heals Peter's uh, mother-in-law, and we have all this fanfare around him. He probably is overwhelmed by the number of people that are being drawn to him, and, he's, and he just retreats. He gets out, he gets away for a few minutes to this solitary place. And that word that's translated solitary place is also the same word that's used for wilderness early on when he's tempted. So I do think that there's a connection there, that yes, Jesus was going to be alone with the Father to to engage him, to be filled up, to submit to the Father's will again, but I also think he's going there to do battle. 
I think there's this spiritual warfare that's happening. Um, and a, a lot of times we talk about quiet places being relaxing and peaceful, and those are good, and that's, and that's great. But sometimes quiet places are places for battle to intercede on others' behalf and to intercede on the world. And I think there's a combination of two of these things happening with Jesus. Because it says it's an extended time period that he's in the wilderness and that he's praying. And so it also coincides with a crisis. Three times Mark mentions that Jesus slips away into a solitary place to pray. And all three times it's in crisis. We see it here. We see it after he walks on water. And then we see it in the garden before his crucifixion. And so this story, sometimes we can breeze through it pretty quickly. Jesus left. He went to this place. He prayed. They came and found him, and he went somewhere else. And we can breeze through it really quickly. But I think what the text is telling us is this is a crisis moment. This is such an important moment that Jesus felt the need to get someplace else to withdraw from the crowd so that he can prepare for something. And so as he's there... Peter, Simon Peter, and a group of guys show up, and they're like, hey, everybody's looking for you. It's this tone of, you're, you've done something wrong here. They're looking for you. You're hiding from them. Get back here. It's almost like uh, Simon or Peter is, is chastising Jesus a little bit. Like, what are you doing? This, there's people waiting to be healed, and you're out here in the wilderness. And Jesus says, nope, we're going to go to a different town. Because I think what he realizes is, is that Simon's trying to control him. I don't think it's intentional. But I think Simon's trying to control the ministry. I'm, in my mind, as I was thinking about it this week, it's like you've, you've got this guy that's been on a boat. He's been a fisherman all of these years, all of his life. And now he's kind of the gatekeeper to the most important guy in the town. I think he's starting to feel himself a little bit. Like, I'm important. And Jesus, you're taking away some of my importance because... I'm controlling who comes to see you. And so Peter's like, you got to come on. you got to come back. The crowd tries to control him because they're trying to limit what he can do. Right? If he doesn't preach in the synagogue, he says, I've come to preach in the synagogue and drive out demons. And the crowd's like surrounding him. And only they're, want, they're only wanting healing. They're wanting this physical restoration. And it's really important that we remember that that's not the purpose of Jesus coming. Jesus didn't come to heal us. He came to redeem us, and as a response to that, we are healed. There are physical healing that, that Jesus wants to do 100%. But this group of people, these Jewish people that are surrounding him, don't seem to be concerned with Jesus' message. I think they really just want what they can get from him. Because they're talking about redemption to a group of people who already believe they're redeemed, right? They're the Jewish people. They're the chosen people. They're following the law. This redemption thing, not that important to me. I can't walk. Really important to me. I need you to heal me. And if we're honest, a lot of times we're in similar places. Most of you, a majority of you, have made a decision to follow Jesus. You've been redeemed. Your salvation is secure. That's 100%. Put that over here just for a minute. But a lot of times, because we've done that, we look for this other piece, and we only focus on, I need you to heal me. We've already been redeemed. Do this part. And a lot of times, we miss the message of Jesus sometimes. That time and distance, the space between the moment we said yes to him and the moment of need that we have seems like ages ago and we can get disconnected 
and connect with Jesus simply for what he can give us, not because we're in relationship with him. I know I'm guilty of a lot of times. I'm actually guilty of this this morning. Um, I wasn't going to tell the story. I just actually, it was something. We'll just go with that. Um, this morning, I was struggling uh, before preaching. I was thinking, man, I need God to work in this really cool way this morning. And it's, and in full confession, it's dumb. My 13-year-old son plays baseball. He played baseball yesterday. He probably had the worst day of baseball in his life. And he's a really good baseball player. And all night, I talked, kind of talking him off the ledge a little bit. This isn't the end of the things. And then this morning, I woke up, and I was just like, all right, Lord, I need him to get a hit today. He's struggling. I'm praying about these things. Jesus, I need you to get, like, whatever you got to do to make it go where it needs to go, I need you to do that this morning. And I'm just praying about that, and I felt like the Lord said, you're about to preach about this. I was like, oh, you, you, you're right. I am. <laughs> See, because being in this place, my son being a good athlete creates comfort for me. My son doing well creates comfort. His comfort is my comfort. When he's not comfortable, nobody's comfortable in my house. And there's this comfort piece here where I'm looking for Jesus to take away any of the hardship things so that we can thrive. But it's on my terms and on my conditions. I define a lot of times what thriving is. That's controlling the ministry. That's controlling what Jesus wants to do. And the Jews were doing the same thing. They didn't see this message as of redeemer. They saw this message of healer. They're more interested in what Jesus can do for them than they are what Jesus is doing in them. And again, we can get to that place. A lot of times we treat him like he's going to show up and give us three wishes. Things aren't going well, Lord. I need you to do this, this, and this. And I'll come back later whenever things aren't, well, aren't going well again. He becomes this genie to us, right? Things aren't good, fix what's wrong, and then, because I know I'm already redeemed, so I don't need that message. I need the message where my life is easy, where my life is comfortable. And it's really hard to step into that place because Jesus shuns the comfortable, he shuns the popularity, he shuns the people and he takes off walking. The crowd's here in Capernaum. He says, I'm going this way because I have a goal in mind. I have a mission in mind. And that mission is to preach the good news everywhere. In the synagogues, in the cities, all over the place. My mission isn't to heal you, though I will. My mission is to preach the good news. And so he leaves. And I'm sure... Simon and the, and the guys that are following him at this time are going, what are you doing? Like, they're here. Everybody's coming to you. What are you doing? And Jesus says, we got to go preach the good news. Healing isn't the primary reason I came. The primary reason is redemption. And so we move on to this verse 40. And this may seem like they don't disconnect much. And they, may, they may not connect much, but we will. We'll get there. So a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once and with a strong warning. See that you do not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest 
and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for, you, for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began talking freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. It's one of my favorite passages because it's, it's this real weird thing to dive into. There's this leper. If you know what leprosy is, maybe it's that. I don't know. I thought about, I was like, what kind of illustration? Let me show a picture of leprosy. Good, we, we edited that, so good decision. Um, but leprosy could have been 70 different chronic skin diseases, right? It didn't have to be the thing that you think of where like body parts are falling off type of leprosy. It could have been any type of skin disease, 70 of them. And the Old Testament in Leviticus, it gives very specific rules for people who have leprosy. You have to live in a solitary place. You've got to be out of the towns. You can't be near people. And whenever you're coming down the road, you have to cover the bottom part of your mouth, and you have to yell, unclean, so that no one around you will pass by and become socially or spiritually or ritually, religiously, unclean. So you're isolated. And these rules were created for the general health of the people. Like it, it, the, the heart behind the laws were good. It's going to keep you from spreading this disease. The application of the law became a way of hurting people, isolating people, and almost enslaving people. The heart of it, good. The application by people and the rules placed on them was not good. And so this guy's walking down the street, and he sees Jesus, and the first thing out of his mouth is, if you're willing, you can heal me. I do believe that there's some power in that statement, because I think he, him, and I know at least me, and maybe you, we're in the same place. See, this guy doesn't doubt God's power to heal him. He doubts God's willingness to heal him. When you feel unclean and you feel outcast and you feel separated, sometimes you believe falsely that God is doing this to us. He's separating us, and we doubt his willingness to, to cleanse us. Yet Jesus reacts indignantly. We had a long discussion about that. Why did Jesus get angry here? Why is this, this the tone here is like Jesus is frustrated with this guy? Is he frustrated with him? Is he frustrated with the system? Is he frustrated with the, the fact that he's going to go tell everybody and ruin his plan for a little while? Not ruin, but maybe throw some hurdles in his plan for a little while. Who knows? But what we do know is that Jesus is frustrated. He says, I'm willing. And then he shows compassion and he touches this guy and his leprosy is gone. Notice it doesn't say his leprosy is healed. It says his leprosy is cleansed. There's this connection between sin and leprosy. Nowhere in scripture will you see leprosy being healed. You'll always see, you'll see it being cleansed. And so Jesus is stepping in this place and says, not only am I cleansing of your leprosy, I'm cleansing you of your sin. And the social outcast and the religious uncleanliness of this guy are completely wiped away. And so he's supposed to go and show the things, and Jesus says, don't tell anybody. It's a side note for a minute. It's interesting to me how, from the beginning, Jesus' initial ministry, he says, don't tell anybody. And everybody goes and tells everybody, right? That's the funny part, sorry. Here comes the other part. 
at the end of his earthly ministry, he says, go tell everybody. And we don't go tell anybody. It's the comfort. Right? To go and tell somebody means I got to step out of this comfort zone. I got to approach Jesus. I got to approach people like the leper did. The leper broke every rule in the Torah, in the law. He broke every rule. He bypassed all the things. He went to a person. He didn't yell out unclean. He went out of a place of desperation to say, I know you can, but are you willing? And Jesus says yes, and he's completely restored to the body, to the people, to everyone. He didn't worry about the fact that if he, does, if he gets rejected here, he's going to make this teacher religiously unclean. None of that mattered to him. Because he's desperate, and then he can't contain himself. Even though Jesus says, don't tell anybody, he's like, I got to go, look. Everybody look at this. This man cleansed me of my leprosy. And what he's saying by saying that is this man cleansed me of my sin. And from that point on, Jesus is no longer able to go into the synagogues. The crowds are too big. He's not able to even go into the towns. He stays on the outskirts of towns, and people keep coming to him over and over again because they're desperate for healing. They're desperate for restoration. And what Jesus' message to them is over and over again, yes, I can do these things, but I'm here for a bigger thing. I'm here to redeem you. I'm here to buy you back from the things that you've personally and individually enslaved yourself to. And that's the part that resonates this morning is we've all, like these Jews, most of us have made this decision to follow Jesus and we live in this place of saved and redeemed, but we also a lot of times voluntarily pick up shackles and pick up chains because they're comfortable. We step into a place like this is the way I've always been, this is the way I've always done things, and even though it's not trusting Jesus, it feels better even though they're chains. And what I think this morning, what the Lord wants to do for us is just to look and free us up from the chains that we've voluntarily taken back up after we've been redeemed. He wants to buy us back again. Because a lot of times we believe religion is the thing that will redeem us just like the Jews and the Pharisees. If I follow the law, if I do the things, then I'm going to be redeemed. And we can fall into that same trap. Religion doesn't redeem us. Rituals, rules, coming to church on Sunday, even reading our Bible, there is no redemption in reading the Bible. The redemption comes with submitting to the author of the Bible. Because religion gives us things that we can do, right? In my mind, religion is this. It's like putting those things on our phone, like the protection apps on our phone to make sure we got accountability partners that send something to everybody that we've signed up for. And anytime something pops up on our phone that we shouldn't look at, we have these apps on our phone that protect us, and we create these layers of, of distance between us and our sin. Same way the law did in the Old Testament for those guys. We create these layers. And I'm not saying these are bad, so don't, get, don't go start deleting apps. What I'm saying is that you can, religion will create distance from sin, but it won't cleanse you of it. Religion will create space 
and, and a healthy distance, but if we're not cleansed of those sins, our sin will catch up with us, it will overtake us, because there's always a way around the app. There's always a way around it. And when our heart's not changed, we easily find that way in moments of temptation. Religion, to me, does the same thing. But it's easier, right? It's com- religion's more comfortable. Religion, you follow the rules, you do the thing, you raise your hands at the right time in each song, we time it up perfectly, we do all the stuff, and we're good. Because it's easy, we know it. Redemption comes to set us free from religion and bring us into relationship. Jesus didn't come to bring you rules, he came to bring you life, and he wants to be in constant relationship with us. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to live a certain way. You will live a certain way because you love him, but you don't, the living different ways don't bring, doesn't bring us into relationship. It's this pursuit of his heart that will change our behavior. Our heart changes, our behavior changes. Our behavior doesn't then coordinate back to our heart. You can't do it the other way around. We can't change behavior in hopes that our heart changes. The other thing that we do is once this point of redemption is we start looking for false saviors. And I don't mean in a religious sense. I don't mean like we're worshiping other gods, but I will say this. According to the the Pew Research Center, 70% of church-going Christians believe there are other ways to heaven. 70% of people in churches today believe you can go to heaven a different way than Jesus. I don't know about you, and if you're one of those people, I'm probably going to offend you. That's not true. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If there are other ways, then he's a liar. There's no other way. But people keep looking for things, something to help me, and they may be looking at all kinds of things. Like just this week I looked up, There are 20, within the last two years, there are 20 new crystal healing spiritualist shops just in Cobb County. People are looking to be redeemed by something, and they're finding it in other methods. Not really finding it, they're being deceived into other methods. They're looking at rocks to help them. The truth is... There is no redemption outside the blood of Jesus. Jesus died for us. Jesus bought us at a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought at a price, therefore therefore glorify God with your body. There's no other way than Jesus, and what he wants from us is everything. All he wants is us to say yes to him and submit and trust him. An ongoing work of trust instead of a one-time decision made. An ongoing relationship that's cultivated and prioritizes him, not a one-time moment of a miracle. He does the miracles. The Holy Spirit, the fruit of Jesus' death and resurrection is that he continues to work and he continues to heal and he continues to speak. Those are all true. But the point of his message is to redeem us first from the pit and now from ourselves. 
He redeems us from the enemy, but he also redeems us from the shackles we, we voluntarily take up in our life. The things that we put as important. The shackles of my son's baseball success. That seems good, but it's not. That's not what he came for. There's so much more than what he has for us. That's what communion's for over here. That's why we do this. It's not a popular topic to stand up here and talk about the blood of Jesus week after week. That probably would turn some folks off, but it was mentioned 255 times in the New Testament. And we do take communion as, sim as a symbolic gesture of the blood of Jesus, the price that it cost, uh, cost God for our redemption, that we're worth that. We're worth his son. He values us above all others, and he wants to be in relationship. We just have to lay down the shackles. Again, this is not a salvation issue. This is an abundant life issue. We are saved, and we are, and we are constantly being sanctified. But he has so much more for us than what we continually fall into the traps of. Here in Marietta, we've talked about walls all the time. That's exclusive, inclusive. Everybody always feels excluded from something. Jesus is the only one that says, I, I don't care where you're from, what you do, where you work, where you grew up. Who your friends are, where you go to church, all he wants is us. He's here to set us free from busyness. We can be redeemed from being too busy because he wants to be in relationship with us. All he's asking for is for all of you. No rules to follow, just your heart. No restrictions, just relationship. So this morning, my prayer for all of us is that we would approach God, approach Jesus the same way the leper did. That we'd approach him desperate for him to do whatever he wants to do in our life. Approaching him from a sense of desperation and need. Let's be honest, we live in a society where we can pretty much provide everything we need on a daily basis. We have enough money to buy food and a place to live and a place to put our kids in the best schools. We have the money thing. Outside looking in, everybody looks great. But there are 20 crystal shops that popped up in, in Cobb County. Something's wrong. And so this morning, as we take communion, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to to ask the Lord, what is the shackle? Just ask for one. What's the shackle? What's the, what, are the, what are the handcuffs that I pick up voluntarily every day that you've already redeemed me from? What's the thing I'm shackling myself to that's limiting me in relationship with you? And there'll be ministry teams up there. You can come and talk with them, and they can pray for you. You can kneel over here and pray. Or you can just come up and take communion and say, all right, Lord, this sign of communion this morning is this sign for me of surrender all over again. It's a sign that I chose you, and I'm choosing you instead of the things that are comfortable. So, Bo, if you'll come on back up. If you're serving communion, if you can come up, 
Just grab the, the elements here and, and be on both sides. There is gluten-free communion up there as well if you so desire. Ministry teams, if you'll come up as well, you can be over here. Yeah, this morning, let's just ask the Lord. Y'all pray with me. Just take a minute and just quietly in your heart, just ask the Lord, what is it in me right now that's separating me from relationship? What's the thing that you freed me from that I continually pick up and take hold of? Search me, God, and find any offensive way in me. Holy Spirit, we do, we do submit this morning to you and your will. Lord, we ask, just reveal. We all have something. Just reveal it to us. Show us any idol, anything that separates us from you. Lord, I pray for those of us that in certain circumstances, in certain instances, we just harden our hearts towards what you're saying. Those of us who say, well, we'll figure it out on our own. Anyone who's searching for something other than you, Lord, I pray that you'll reveal yourself to them this morning. I pray that they will see you clearly, they have an experience with you this morning. Jesus, I pray as we come and take communion, as we remember your crucifixion, your death, and your resurrection this morning, Lord, I pray that you will help us to choose you again. We wouldn't live off an old choice, but that we would choose you daily. We'd take up our cross daily, Lord, and this would be a sign of saying we choose you over the things. We choose you over comfort. We choose you over any of the things that we have been filling our hearts with and searching for peace, that you are our peace, Lord. And I pray for those who see, their, uh, see another way, I pray that they will see your reality this morning. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you will come, you will manifest your presence in this room. They will know that you love us and you've bought us back at a high price. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.